following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. It sort of feels like we've already experienced the, the main event today. The, when we do baptisms, it's, it's kind of this big um, mountaintop experience, a big emotional high, a spiritual high. Um, and after that kind of thing, we could certainly echo the words of the psalmist I read Psalm 133 at the start of our worship gathering. It starts out, How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It's such a, uh, such a true and beautiful psalm for us to have today. And I love that the lectionary gave us that psalm. Um, if you don't know what the lectionary is, it's a collection of scriptural texts that are arranged four per week over the course of three years. You get through most of the Bible if you study the lectionary. We don't use it all the time, but we have been using it since July, almost nonstop, with only one or two breaks. And um, it's great when the text, which was assigned, I don't know how many years or decades ago, the Revised Common Lectionary put Psalm 133 on the second Sunday of Eastertide in year B, which is a bunch of uh, liturgical mumbo-jumbo you don't need to know. But it's, the point is, it was a long time ago, and that psalm hit us right where we live today, and it's such a beautiful thing. Um, by the way, the other thing that the lectionary provides for us is a sense of seasonality in the church, which is why the screen has the word Easter on it, even though we celebrated Easter last week. The Western Church celebrated Easter last week, um, but now we're in the season of Easter. We sometimes call it Easter Tide. If you want to be very formal, you can call it Easter Tide. Um, but it's a series that will go on for several weeks now, and we're going to be thinking about what it means to live a resurrection-style life, not just on one special holy day, but for the rest of our lives. So it's, Easter is a season, not just a day. Season of resurrection. <clears throat> so one of the other texts from the lectionary is where I want to spend some time uh, that we have together today, and that is from the book of 1 John. Now, there's the book of John, which is the gospel of John, the stories of Jesus. And then there's the letters of John. There's three of them. They're very short. They're near the back. Um, and one of the letters of John is what the lectionary gives us today. And it's a really, just absolutely gorgeous passage of Scripture. It's one of those, I mean, all Scripture is inspired and useful and all those things. We love the Bible, all of it. Some of it's harder to read. Some of it's easier to read. Some of it uh, seems very dull. And some of it just comes absolutely alive. And this is one of those passages that just comes absolutely alive. It's practically operatic in the way uh, it comes alive for me anyway. And so my hope is that mainly just reading this text will be a great way for the Spirit to speak to you today. And if you'd like to follow along, if you're a visual person, I encourage you to open a Bible. Um, the red Bibles go uh, to page 989 is where this text will be found. And the last thing I'll say about that is if you do not own a Bible, please take that red Bible in your hand home with you today. It's yours. It's our gift to you. And good news, they keep printing Bibles, and we keep buying them. And you can take one and take one for a friend. Anytime you need a Bible, take one of these if you'd like. So I will have a, a, what, I will hopefully, what will hopefully be a brief observation at the end, but mostly I want you to hear and receive this beautiful passage of Scripture. 1 John 1, 1 through 2. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, 
and we have seen it and testify to it. And declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, And He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now it seems to me that there are two messages in this passage. One message kind of at the beginning, that's a very strong encouragement, an exhortation, if you will, for one group of people. And then another message toward the end of the passage, a different type of very strong message, very strong exhortation for a different group of people. So what I want to do is I want to start with that second one, actually, because that one stings a little bit, (laughs) and then we'll go back to the good stuff at the beginning. Can we do it that way? So the group at the end, if you're in the group at the end who's who's intended uh, to hear these words from John uh, in the second half of the passage... Uh, And by the way, it may be John and some of his colleagues because um, there's a lot of we language in there, which is kind of interesting. We are writing this for this purpose, that kind of thing. But regardless, if you're a recipient, an intended recipient of that second part of the passage, well, what you receive is actually kind of harsh, isn't it? There are some of you I know in the room today who are in this group. And I humbly hope that you will hear John's words, not so much my words, but John's words, and that they will uh, take root in your heart, that you'll receive them with humility, and that they will affect a change in your life. Because this group of people in the second half of today's passage from 1 John, they're a group of people who say that they have fellowship with God, but in reality, they are walking in the darkness. And John is not particularly subtle about this. John is kind of like the nice one in the Bible, the Paul stuff. Paul gets real mean like practically every other word. But John, you want to think like he's all about love. But no, he's pretty straightforward about this. He says if you are a person who claims to have fellowship with God, but you're walking in the darkness, we could talk about what that means, then what are you? You're a liar. Now, I don't play this card too often, but sometimes you hear pastors say this. That's not me saying it. It's the Bible saying it. It's John calling you a liar, not me. Well, he says if you do that, claim to have fellowship with God, and then walk in the darkness of your sin, 
then you're lying. He says, you're not doing what is true, which I think is really fascinating and very telling. When you talk about lying, what's the verb that usually goes before a lie? What do you do a lie? You say a lie. You tell a lie, right? We think of lying as saying something that is not true. And John says, you are lying. You are not doing what is true. Because what you are claiming for yourself is different from who you really are. And you're not just lying to other people. You're not just lying to God. Who else are you lying to? You are lying to yourself. He says, you have deceived yourself. He says, the truth is not in you. It's so ingrained that you couldn't even tell the truth if you wanted to. Because you have done the lie, you have done what is not true, and you've believed the lie about yourself. So, people in group B, I'm sorry to have to bring this message to you. But that's who you are. You're, you're liars who are deceiving others, deceiving God, and deceiving yourselves. But there is good news for people in that second group. Because if this passage has woken you up, the way I'm sure it woke up some of the original hearers and readers of this letter, you have a clear action to take. John is not subtle about this either. He says, confess your sins. Just be honest about it. Just say what is true. And the good news, and this is one of the most famous passages of Scripture, When we confess, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins. And not just forgive us of our sins, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By the way, that's part of the symbology of baptism is cleansing. When I pour water over someone's head, it's symbolically washing them clean. It's not me washing them clean. It's the work of God in their lives. And, And sometimes we've done immersion baptisms where you go all the way under. The symbology is even more alarming then. It's like you've you've been died with Christ and you're being raised up again to new life. So if you are in the second group, if you're the recipient of the words in the second half of today's passage from 1 John, you know what you need to do. You need to confess. Now, it is my deepest hope, and I think this is true, that Artisan Church is a place of grace and mercy. God's grace and mercy... Not mine, as if you needed that anyway. But those who confess would be welcomed here, not shamed. Those who confess would be invited into new life, not cast out into isolation and death and shame. Because what John rightly identifies as your deception of yourself and others is nothing worse than what any of us has already done, including me, the person that they're silly enough to give a microphone to most weeks out of the year. And we will joyfully welcome people in that second group because Jesus spent his entire ministry welcoming people from that second group. Went to his death in order to welcome sinners, to save them, to redeem them, and to recreate them, to resurrect them into some new life. So it's not... I who invite you to this confession and to this new stage of life, it's Jesus himself. And so if you've heard his invitation, what will you do? Will you respond?
So that's the second half of the passage. That's the, that's the group B people, right? All right, group A people, let's talk. Those of us who get to hear the, 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 the nicer first half of that passage. Did you notice how uh, exuberant and joyful it started out before it got down into the muck and mire of walking in darkness and sin and confession? We declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It's like bubbling over with happiness and joy and confidence. And for those of us who've already set our way to be the way of Jesus, we can receive this word as a as a joyful reminder of a couple of things. Two reminders that I'm going to point out here. First of all, declaration is the normal response to Christ's salvation. If you have been adopted into the family of God, and isn't that a beautiful metaphor that's used here, you ought to join John. We all ought to join John in declaring this truth to each other. That verb declare appears three times in just the very beginning of this passage. We should declare this truth not only to each other, but to anyone else who needs to hear the good news of Christ's wide welcome. And I think most of us are mostly silent about it most of the time. And that's a shame. I actually have a theory about why. I think a lot of us who came to faith some time ago have a, a version of the, the gospel, the, the, the so-called good news of Jesus, in our minds, which we actually don't think is very good news at all, which tells kind of an ugly story, and which we don't want to share or declare because we have not seen good fruit of it, right? I often... It's easy to pick on the people with the megaphones outside of Frontier Field before the baseball games, right? Baseball is a sport that people used to go and watch in decades past. But trust me, there's a field, and you can go there, and there's people with megaphones. And I was like, oh, those people again, gone. Oh, if only they... And then I realized, well, they're declaring something, and I'm just kind of like sneaking past them, hoping that nobody ever connects me to them. And to make sure that no one does, I will be sure not to declare anything... <laughs> At all, right? What if we got to the place of such humility that we realize that any time we start declaring anything, we're going to get parts of the story wrong and that the Holy Spirit can cover for us, <laughs> right? And so that maybe we ought, to, we ought to like stop tearing other people down and start lifting our own voices up. But, but I do think that a lot of us have a story of the gospel that's rooted in shame and uh, a God who is angry and vindictive and destructive. And we don't have any interest in declaring that God to anybody, but we don't have a better way of telling the story. My hope is that we can develop a better way to tell the story. We can, we can tell, in fact, the story that is present in the Scriptures of a God whose first past, present, future posture toward us is always one of love. Of a God who started the whole story by creating the world and calling it good. Don't dive into the, don't dive in at Genesis chapter 3, Bible nerds. Remember Genesis 1 and 2. Anyway, I think if we, um, 
if we had a, a better, more beautiful gospel in our minds and in our hearts, we might be more inclined to declare it to other people. So that's the first reminder. Declaration is actually the normal response to Christ's salvation and to God's goodness. But here's the second reminder for those of us in the first group. All right, group A people, here comes the slightly bad news for you and for me, which is that there's probably not two groups. John writes this letter. There's no line in the text that says, okay, group A, you sit over here now. I'm going to talk to the group B people who really need to hear it. No, it's all just one thing. I made it all up. (laughs) It's a sermonic device. John goes right from this exuberant, joyful declaration of God's goodness and salvation, which you've all been able to embrace, he's saying to group A people, (laughs) and then goes right into this mess about if you claim to have fellowship with God but walk in the darkness, you are lying. And he's not talking to a different group of people. He's talking to the same group of people. So if you were feeling abashed a minute ago because I was lumping you in group B, (laughs) and especially if you were feeling proud a minute later when I was putting you in group A, I got good news for some of you and not so good news for the rest of you. All of us ought to take seriously the possibility that we are moving about the world in a state of self-deception. All of us should endeavor to be, with each passing day, more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's call to move out of that state of self-deception and into the state of confession, repentance, and new life. Because yes, there is a kind of binary, you were this thing, you were dead, and now you're alive in Christ. There is that singular experience of faith that you have sometimes, maybe often. Maybe that's the more normal thing than the other. But the truth is, whether that was your experience of conversion or not, all of us, each and every one of us, is like this thing, right? We're drifting back into the old ways. We're, as uh, Tolstoy said, stumbling drunkenly across the path to home. through the darkness of the night. And I think one of our problems is that we think, well, I got that taken care of. That guy poured water over my head or dunked me under the water or I prayed that prayer at that crusade or whatever it might have been. I had my first communion. Now I'm in group A. Boy, I'm so glad I wasn't in group B anymore. So all of us should hear this good news as the passage concludes. If anyone does sin, and uh, raise your hand if you didn't this week, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now there is a good beautiful gospel that we can declare. One of the best ways to declare that good gospel is to celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion. We've had the sacrament of baptism today, and now we have the sacrament of communion. If one is the sacrament of welcome, the ritual of initiation, this is the sacrament of sustenance and maintenance. And there's a part in the New Testament where Paul's talking about taking communion. He says, every time you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And of course, when you proclaim his death, you proclaim his resurrection as well. 
And so if you are ready to declare, <laughs> declare Jesus and declare for Jesus, this table is open for you. Artisan has an open communion table, which means that anybody who's following Jesus is invited to come and partake of the bread and the cup. You don't have to be a member of our church. Let me say it this way. This is the Iona invitation, which is quite beautiful. This is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is to be made ready for those who love Him and who want to love Him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, not because it is I who invite you, it is our Lord. It is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. And so our table is open. Now, despite the fact it's open, you may choose for your own reasons not to participate in communion if you're not a follower of Jesus. It's fine for you to, to sit and observe this, to receive prayer. There'll be a member of the prayer team at the back of the room who'd be happy to pray with anyone who needs prayer today. Your children, by the way, are welcome to take communion with you. If, if they don't, please go get them right after you take it because uh, their time is coming to an end down there as well. And remember that the waters of baptism are here. You can remember your own baptism and be thankful as you come to the table uh, of the Lord and receive his grace. Let's continue to worship God at table, in song, and in prayer. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.